Hi, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, the king of co-op, Steve Kingsley, and his special guest are going to review a game for you and have a related discussion. And without further ado, here's Steve! Welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop. Steve here with Barrent. Hey, Steve. How you doing? Hey, Baron. Glad you joined me on this podcast. Hey, it's good to be back. I love doing these things with you. We always have a wonderful time. It is. Always good times. So today's episode, we're going to review Reich Busters, Project Vril from Mythic Games. But before we jump into that review, we have some Patreon members to thank. We have Jason Way, co-op MVP, a ba- Barnent Dit Dit <laughs> Er? That's me! <laughs> that was yeah. awesome, Steve. <laughs> you sound like the people that call me on the phone that don't know my name. <laughs> yes. We that do have really Baron Dittler really in our... <laughs> so, co-op champion, yes. I, I know he's providing funds to our own Patreon. So, there, <laughs> there we go. Oh. And uh, Connor Mackinus, a co-op MVP. So, thanks, guys, for supporting all the content we put together it helps a ton and and we really appreciate it, especially in this trying time when you know things are just up in the air we don't know what's going on funds are tight sometimes we don't even have funds so if you can't support no problem if you can we appreciate it i just want everyone to be safe out there that's uh that's a fact steve everybody's got to stay safe i actually i went back to work today I, for those that don't know i'm a nurse so i finally got to go back to where so a lot of us have been furloughed to kind of keep ourselves safe at home and get through this but going back to work it was quite a interesting experience to see all the steps being put forward to keep not only ourselves safe but also our patients that are coming through so i've really impressed with the way that all the hospitals and the surgery centers and all the healthcare have really come together to really help make everybody feel safe it was really an interesting experience and it was really cool to see the steps put in yeah i hope everything goes well for you baron Thank you. I feel totally safe where I am from all the things I've done so far. At least the good thing about this virus that's going around, it doesn't make people zombies, unlike Reichbusters, which has plenty of zombies in it. <laughs> yes, it does. This is true. There's a segue for you. That was a good one. <laughs> Way to go. A segue to zombies. Ah, yes. <laughs> so, so let's talk about Reichbusters. So Reichbusters is a Weird War II game in which that it's kind of based on real history but it's a fantasy spin-off so it's like hey alternate reality fantasy stuff is real let's let's have some fun with this so a lot of times world war ii games have some weird occult thing going on some weird like almost steampunk technology and that is definitely in this time of theme while it's based on like a real time period it's no real history in this it's kind of its own fun spin-off in fact you can really think of it like you're fighting against this other arm of what would be i don't know nazi germany but it's not really related to them it's a kind of a separate division you can kind of think of it like hydra right so you kind of going against something like hydra that's weird machinations and stuff and so they've developed this technology or this compound called vril and lets them reanimate fallen soldiers into zombies and actually create like weird monstrosities with metal and people and other animals and beasts and all sorts of weird stuff. So you're finding these weird fancy creatures in an underground compound. And the whole point of the game is based upon objectives and you're working together, trying to do missions kind of stealthily. There's a huge noise mechanic you have to worry about. 
and you kind of run around playing cards and trying to, well, beat up bad guys and get loot and and complete whatever you're trying to do. It could be something as trying to blow up areas, trying to take out a big bad boss, or just trying to find documents. It could vary quite a bit what the goals are. But this is definitely one of your dungeon crawl type games. A big game, a lot of big production, tons of miniatures, cards, dice, chucking, the whole nine yards. There are two modes of play. One mode is you can play through a campaign where you get the character and you level up, get additional skills as you play through the game. And another way of playing it, you can play what's called raids and they're kind of one-off missions where you can kind of mix and match different scenarios and different uh, enemies to fight, different teams with special abilities, and different goals to achieve. But yeah, that gives you a real brief overview of Reichbusters. There's a lot to it. I can't really describe it all in a short description. If you want to know more, there's plenty of videos out there. In fact, Barrett is going to be doing a video for us soon. That is very true. I've actually got it recorded. It's going to be edited. It should be up pretty soon, but you hit the nail on the head. There's so much going on in this game that it is really hard to describe the whole thing. Being able to see it in action really kind of answers a lot of questions as to what this game is about, but to really experience it, some really good play, getting a lot of good playthroughs out of it is a really good way to experience all the different parts of this game for sure. So we're not going to talk a lot about the gameplay itself, but we're going to focus on the review of it. And if you're first time joining us, we like to do a top five review where we pick five things you need to know about the game. Start with our number five, the least important, and work our way to number one, our most important. And as we go along this list, we'll talk about if each item is a pro or con for us and why. So Baron, would you like to start with our number five? Sure, I'd be more than happy to start with number five. For number five, I actually have the production with the minis and everything. Um, for those that don't know, this game has an astronomical amount of miniatures. When I do my playthroughs, I actually try my best to make sure that every game I put on the table is fully painted. That is really going to be impossible for this game. If I attempted to paint all these miniatures and finally do the playthrough, I think I would be 60 because there is an amazing <laughs> amount of stuff. It's true. There's so much, but I really think they did a really good job on all these miniatures. And the reason they need them all is the way the whole game works. You're not just fighting like a couple guys at a time. There could eventually be a lot of guys on the table that really puts your team to the limit. So having all these miniatures really does stand out. Now, another thing about it is there is this theme of the Nazis and all this, and that can kind of be a turnoff to some people because uh, it, it can kind of hit people in different ways. Like, it's in a global scale. I know we talked a little bit about it inside our Slack. There was a few members that were like, you know, I'm kind of from Germany. I'm not digging the theme like this. Why do they have to kind of do something like this? But, you know, it, like you said, it is a total like fantasy type thing. And it is really a dungeon crawler. It just happened to slap that theme on it, but they do do a really good job in production and having that theme really adds to it as well. Yeah, I think it's a good thing you called out the miniatures in this game because they are really well done. I was impressed when I saw what they had, and the sculpts are great. There's some really giant ones. Like, one of them was, was really cool. It's like a half-giant beast, half-tank. <laughs> so, like, if you took a panzer tank and made it into, like, a biped with a giant gun, yeah, that that's what you fight against at some point. It's so big it takes up one box. It's like that is the box, is the miniature. <laughs> it's out of control. Yes, there's, it's this yeah, there's a lot of them. It's in, the, in that box is as big as the core box, it, that, and it's just that one miniature. So it is obviously a little out of scale and ridiculous, but it's pretty cool to think that you're going to take that thing down at some point. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty epic to go against that thing. So, yeah, that's a good point. A lot of miniatures in this one. The sculpts and the quality is really, really well done. I'll move on to my number five. My number five is going to be a con, and that is the player scaling. 
I'm a big fan of when I sit down to play a game, I don't want to feel forced to have to play multiple characters. I like to feel like I am this character. I want that character to be an avatar for me, essentially. And Reichbusters, it plays fine with what it's intended to be. It's intended to be a four-character experience. So you can sit down as one person, and you can play four characters. It's doable. But since each character or hero in this game are really commando, they come with a deck of cards, and it's actually a 12-card deck. Now you have four separate hands to manage. And it's doable. You can do it. The actions are fairly straightforward in most cases in moving, attacking, all that fun stuff, searching. But it's not what I want to do when I sit down and play the game. In fact, when I sat down and played through the campaign with my wife, we just played one character each. So it was two characters. We played through it, and it works mostly, but it doesn't play the same way as you play with four characters. And then at some point, you will run into a problem, too. And I'll call this out specifically, where there is one mission in the game where you have different objective items. So these are items you have to use to complete the goal in mind. And this, in this case, you had to set um, charges in three different locations, and you had to bring the detonator to a spot, exit, exit spot, and blow up the whole base. And so basically, you need four items for that, right? Three TNT charges and one detonator. If you were to attempt this game with only one character, you only have four item slots for each character. So literally, if you had any items, you can't use them for this mission. You have to fill your entire item slot with just those objective items. It just doesn't work, right? It doesn't work for that one character. Now, it's not a problem if you play four characters. Four characters. You just divvy that up amongst all four, you're fine. Um, or even with two characters, it's okay, but still not great because half your items are dedicated to this. Now, it's easy enough to house rule, and there's ways of going about it, but as written, I just don't feel like it scales well with uh, different players' counts. Well, that's really too bad, Steve. I, uh, I I haven't experienced that since you know me. I I I have no problem playing four characters. Heck, favorite game so far I've played my game of 2019 was Badara. You had to play four characters. I I never really have an issue with player scaling because I always do kind of what they're asking. I don't mind playing four characters. It takes longer, but I do like having those extra characters and being able to see how each of them kind of plays instead of having just that one that, oh, this is my guy. I don't mind thinking I'm kind of that overlord of having those four characters and working them out. So to me, I didn't have an issue with it, but I never actually tried it at one to two, but I'll tell you, it sounds pretty terrible if you have to pick up all four like pieces of a detonator ball, but you can't do anything else with your with your item slots. That sounds pretty ridiculous. Yeah, that that was unfortunate. I mean, we were able to like do a quick house rule to make it work, and it wasn't too bad because you have a headquarters where you can keep your stash between missions. So we just said, hey, we can just pull from that stash. So we weren't like filling our item slots. Yeah, it's not against the rules, but at least we're able to play without feeling like we lost all our good gear. For example, yeah, that makes sense. It's fine, and like I said, this is my number five. It's not a big con, like. I suspect that a lot of people wouldn't sit down and play this game. You can totally play with four characters. It won't be a problem. I'm just letting people know that if you want to play with less characters or like one character per player and you're not playing with four players, you may run to a bit of an issue. Okay, Barrett, what is your number four? My number four comes in at the difficulty rating. I actually thought it was really cool that as you're playing through this game, you do the campaign that actually has four different difficulty levels so you're not always forced to play at a certain level where a lot of dungeon crawlers don't give you that option they're like here's your mission go do it 
and you might fail like two times. You're like, this is ridiculous. This is really tough. Why can't I scale this down? Well, in this one, it does. Now, the difficulty doesn't come with what actually is going on in the game. It kind of happens more at the end where you're able to, if somebody gets captured and you're on an easier difficulty, that person gets set free. Where if you're playing on the hardest difficulty, it's like, sorry, that guy's toast. You got to pick a new person or this person has two wounds instead or something. So the difficulty of being able to scale that in between campaign missions I, I think that's a good thing in this game because there are a lot of times when this game can just be brutal. It doesn't happen always. And of course, it's because I would say it's a dice game and sometimes luck gets involved. So I like being able to set that difficulty before you go in, figuring out what the best plan for your team is, if what enjoyment out of the game you want. Yeah, Baron, I'm glad you mentioned this. It didn't fall on my list, but it's a good point to talk about. And I actually like how they implemented it because it, it's simple. It's like, oh, yeah. You play the game the same way no matter what, but at the end, it's basically, are you playing with like a permadeath and like item loss situation? Are you playing where like, okay, even the guy died, you can still get him back. And having that capture ability. So what we mean in that game is if you ever have a commando and he winds up getting four wounds and winds up being, I believe it's four enemies in a spot, they wind up capturing him. You can't, you can't actually do anything. You're kind of just, they got you pinned down you're captured. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it, right? No, that's exactly and so, right. You're captured. Sorry. That's it. Yeah, Boom. exactly. <laughs> so I'm trying to beat around the bush, but no, you're just captured. <laughs> and so what that means is you can actually leave the base. So if someone leaves the base, then you cannot follow. And so now effectively you are out of the game or that character is out of the game, which is really interesting or even better. I like, so how the game ends is one character one commando specifically has to have an objective item in their inventory. And then they have to leave through one of the exits. That's how you trigger end game. And then basically every other commando basically gets infinite move points in a sense um, to try to see if they can make it to the exit as well. And if they can't, meaning that there are enemies that block their way to make it to the exit, they are captured. And so that makes it really fun if you're playing with this, this permadeath or permanent capture um, setup where it's like, oh man, you've got this level up character and somehow I had to f figure out how to get a clearing so that when I leave, you can leave with me and it provides a sense of camar camaraderie. And I, it makes, I found it really, really fun. That's a good point. I, I think that's pretty cool. I, it's It can be really frustrating at times because I've lost mission because I was hoping to get that person through the door and I shot something, some element of the game caused millions of people to show up and it was where the person was standing that was supposed to get out. And now all of a sudden, now I've got even a bigger problem. I can't get out because that guy's, what I need is in the guy's place which got captured. It was just amazing. It was definitely, I was <laughs> laughing the whole time because I couldn't believe what just happened. I'm like, I should have just left. Yeah, we had a lot of plays where my wife and I were trying to figure out Man, if I play this card, I can make us move one space and that'll give us closer. If somehow we can take out this guy, we can, someone can sneak out and we can both sneak out together. And it was one of things like this big like puzzle because at some point you just have too many guys to manage and you just have to get out of there. Yeah, that was my number four. Steve, what do you got for number four? My number four is a con as well, and that's the Vril items. So this is something when I heard about this as being part of the game, I got excited about it. What it, what it is, is the enemy in this game has this technology, this mythical compound called Vril, and they're using this to have super weapons and reanimating fallen soldiers into zombies, all this crazy stuff. Well, you get the option or, or opportunities to say to come across some of these items, 
or even modify your own weapons with this real technology. I'm like, that's so cool. Like I can steal their tech and make my gun better. And I got really excited about that, that prospect. And it's kind of fun because like in the game, you come across like a scientist's desk and it's like, oh yeah, here's the plans. Now I can actually upgrade it. So it's kind of hard to get the real items, especially your own weapons. Now, what I don't like about it is how it's implemented. So the real items basically give you additional powers generally on your items or weapons. And they also give you a red dice, a real dice. And this dice has a number of sides on it. And most of the sides give you additional successes. So basically it translates to additional damage or additional blocks, whatever you're using it for. But it also has a blank side and what they call a surge side. The surge result is only found on the real dice. And what it does is if you roll that, yeah, it's actually terrible. (laughs) (laughs) And what it does, if you roll this, your weapon becomes drained. So basically the power source is kaput. It's out of energy. And so we can't use it again. And on top of that, you get a permanent wound. So it like backfires in your face and you take damage. I found that to be very brutal, like in the sense that I, if there's a way to mitigate it, I'm fine with it. And, and the rule book says that if I roll a boost die or boost symbol, and so in the game, most of the dice, actually all the dice, as I say, have a star symbol on it. If I roll the star symbol, I can use it to either trigger an ability or trigger it to roll additional dice. So it's kind of like exploding dice or exploding dice with the option of triggering abilities. Well, the real dice lets you trigger the ability to cancel the surge effects. That's really nice. Like, hey, if I roll a star symbol on my red dice, I can cancel that really bad, bad effect. But here's the problem. Most of the weapons in the game only give you one real dice. So you have no way of canceling it. And I felt like, that's just not fun. Because, like, I can literally find this cool technology, equip it on my gun, and then on my first roll, roll that surge symbol, and guess what? My, My gun's out of commission. And if I'm a sniper, I could be my sniper rifle. And now I, I, I'm a sniper without a sniper rifle because it's I have to find this other item, a real orb, and then spend an action to fix my gun. And it was just too, too consequential. And I was just really disappointed because like, man, it's rare to find this stuff and it sounds cool, it'd be fun to use. And it's just not worth it, the way it's written. I totally agree with you on this one, Steve. It's not on my list, but... Yeah, man, those things are those things can wreck your team really fast with a bad roll. And it's a one and six. And like you say, there's no really no mitigation for it, considering, like you said, there's only one. I mean, a lot of them only get to roll one. And if you roll that surge symbol, boom, game over for that guy. Oh, wow, I got a knife now. I'm excited to go run around fighting 100 zombies with a knife instead of having my burst shotgun or super Uzi. I mean, nope, I rolled the wrong guy. Yeah, I, honestly, I don't pick him up. I just leave them there. I don't pick them up because there's just, it's just too detrimental if something like that happens. Yeah, I completely agree. And in fact, it's even worse than that because it's a one in six chance to get that surge side, which gives you damage. But the blank side, according to the rule book, is you drain the weapon as well. So if you roll a blank or if you roll a surge, your weapon is now kaput. You need to recharge it. So you have a one in three chance for your weapon to basically just not be functional anymore. And it's just, it's not worth it. I have a house rule for it, and I like it a ton better, so I play that way. But as written, I just was very disappointed with real items. Now, the silver lining to this is you don't have to get this real items. In fact, you don't even need them. You can totally go against the biggest bosses in the game, 
without real items. But it's such a fun thing to do. It's something I want to do. So it's just disappointing on that. Yep, I hear you. I'd love to do it too, but I, like I said, I don't pick them up. I don't upgrade weapons. I'm good enough the way I am, running around with what I have. I, it's, it's, it's ter- It's a, it's sadly, it's a sad miss. It's a sad miss that they could have implemented something so cool that it's just a miss. Yep, completely agree. And I'm totally surprised you have a house rule for that. <laughs> <laughs> what are we trying to say? You always make games better. I like house rules. It's, it's yes. a sickness. <laughs> it's good. It's good. So, Barrett, what's your number three? Uh, my number three actually is it's a con, and I normally don't put cons in my my top fives because I always always could find something awesome in games. Sadly, this one is going to come to it kind of encompasses three things: rulebook, player aids, and setup time. It's a dungeon crawler, so it's got a setup time. I understand that. I am a huge dungeon crawler fan. I don't mind setup time. This is an immense amount of setup. I would say it took me 20 to a half hour to get the game set up. You're looking at a map. You're putting all the tiles down. It, luckily, they'd label all the tiles, and everything's fine like that. You have to put in all the doors. Every door has its own sound value, so you have to make sure you have the right doors in the right spot. You have to make sure you have all the right tokens in the right spot. Okay, great. Got my board set up. Now I've got to go get all the decks of cards set up. There's not too many compared to some dungeon crawlers, but you have to make sure they're set up. You've got to get your characters set up. You've got to find all these little teeny tokens of guns and their abilities each one comes with a certain ability like one guy might be focused and so you have to put that on his player card one guy might be stealthy you gotta put on the player card and it's a ton of these little things because there's so many characters that have all these different abilities And as you play you can level up to find even more abilities so there's just so many of these little teeny things to try to find and put out on the board or on your characters that the setup time is intense a lot bigger than a lot of other games i play even though i do play a ton of dungeon crawlers now the rule book it's fine. I don't have too big of a deal with the rule book. The problem with the rule book is the fact that there's all these tokens. And sadly, I really love the games that you can flip over the token. It tells you what it does on the token. Nope, not this game. You have to go to the book. You've got a page to the back. You've got to find one of the 32,000 tokens in this game. Look it up. Find what that token does. Now you know what it does. Of course, the more you play it, the more you get to know what some of these tokens are. But when you're trying to learn it, there's a lot of learning curve to this game. That player aid it's there, but it really isn't helping you a lot. I really wish they would have made like four player aids, one that had items, one that had character abilities, one that had uh, the tokens you find on the board, like what different doors and locks and the symbols on the dice. Of course, the dice are, are symbol-based. They're not one, two, three, four, or anything like that. So I think it would have been better to have more player aids that, would have, that you could have out. I mean, I played games that have four player aids that you can look down each one of these and look and see which one you're looking at and you can see what part of that game is you got the rule right there and boom instead of having to keep paging into the rule book to find out what each of these different tokens or rules do so that's my con of the game can you believe it i am sad with the setup time of a dungeon crawler (laughs) i play a ton of them (laughs) oh and just the fact that there's just so many tokens that i don't have a definition for unless i actually have to page into the rule book yeah I mostly agree with what you're saying here. The setup time is significant, for sure. I didn't make my list, but it probably would have been like my number six. So, because it yeah. does take a while. Exactly what you described. I didn't find it, for whatever reason, it didn't bother me as much. And that's probably why I didn't make my list, because normally setup time does bother me. But maybe because I don't need... Well, I learned ways I can clean it up. Like, at first, I was trying to lay out all the enemy cards, so I knew exactly what they did, all the stats and stuff like that. But then I learned that I can get that information just from the um, the mission card, which has like the list of all the enemies. And the font is tiny, so there's that issue. But 
it does have everything on it. I was able to just use that one card to reference it. Now, that only came with enough plays. At first, I was definitely referencing all these cards, and it was one being a lot to manage. But after a few plays, it kind of it got better and better. Now, I will admit that right now I've had this game currently even out on my dining room tables. I haven't put it away yet. So <laughs> the setup time isn't something that I'm too uh, cognizant of because I haven't really put it away and taken out a ton like in most games. But yeah, it's it's a lot for sure. The rule book, I think it's mostly fine. I my problem with the rule book is it's missing some key information in there. And I'll get to that in a later point, but for <laughs> how they have it organized, it's okay mostly. Like I say it's mostly okay because I actually like the the end of the book. It has all your skills and keywords listed out, all the items. Yeah, I had to flip back to find it, and it got kind of annoying. But the iconography is actually okay. I was able to understand and remember a few things going, as I went along with it. Um, the one point I will, I do disagree with you a little bit is I found the player age actually pretty to be pretty good. Um, the one side of the player age, I was able to walk through the, the hero turn or the enemy turn. It was fairly easy to do that. The other side had the icons was enough for me to to get going. It's not great, so it definitely has room for improvement. So I agree with Baron there, but I didn't necessarily find it as much of a problem, personally. Sounds like a plan, Steve. Let's see here. What are you on? You get to tell me your number three, don't you? I do. Nice. My number three is a pro, and that is the different feeling of the pre-alarm and the post-alarm phases of the game. So in most missions of this, you're going to be playing in basically two different styles. The whole game based around this alarm. And the alarm is basically a round marker that can be accelerated depending on what you do in the game. And so before you start the game, uh, you'll be rolling these noise dice. And these noise dice will be spawning patrols as you make noise that pop up. If you wind up using certain abilities or weapons that make big, loud explosions, you'll lose extra time because of that. And if enemies are aware of your presence, the alarm will also move faster to sounding. And the first half of that game is you're basically just trying to take out enemies as fast as possible before they have time to react. And you have a lot of advantages at this point in the game because they're not really aware of your presence. But as soon as that alarm goes off, they know where you are and basically the whole base just explodes in enemies. And you feel very different from the beginning of part of the game where it's like, oh yeah, I need to quickly move through and it's kind of like a breach and clear feeling versus the latter part of the game is like, Oh man, how do I get out of the situation? There are a ton of guys in this room. What do we do to, to manage this? And I really like that feeling, that dichotomy. It almost feels like two games in one. It just felt pretty distinct in how you play. And it's also interesting how different commandos excel in different areas and trying to find out how to make them excel in the other areas as well. I hear you. That's actually pretty cool. I do like the what you're talking about, the characters and having their own feel and everything. I like even playing with the base characters. There is such a difference in the way one character works versus another one. For example, there's this guy named Brick who pretty much is he's walking around with two machine guns. He's going to trigger noise every time. So you got to figure out a way to get him to actually do some quiet attacks, too, or find him to be used in another way. But once that alarm goes off, oh, my gosh, he's a champion, man. He just takes out people left and right because he's got both guns. He's got cards that allows him to shoot both these guns. So I, I like the characters in the game, and I like the way they do feel in the different areas of the game. And it's, it's, it's a really cool feel. 
Yeah, I agree with that. And even with like the stealthier characters, like they're really awesome up front, but then when they get through after alarm, then I mean, they still can do stuff. It's not like they're worthless, but they're not nearly as effective as like the brick character you mentioned. He's just mowing guys down. I mean, he doesn't care anymore. He's just going to town, right? <laughs> That's right. He does it so well too. But yes, the stealthy characters, I really, they're amazing in how they develop them because it must have took a lot of time to try to figure out how am I going to make this character work well, but only in, in both areas, but make it excel during the stealthy part of the game. And I'm, I, I like how they really thought out each one of these characters and tried to make them excel in both areas, but only uh, what I'm, what I'm saying is that the stealthier characters do do good up front at the beginning part. And it's really fun to play through those characters. And then of course, as you get near, the, and I think that's maybe one reason why I like playing the four characters, because I have that ability to, it really excite me to play how this person works now, where if I was just playing one character and it was brick, I'd be bored the first half because you don't want him fighting. Sure. He has an ability that allows him to roll two melee dice when he close combat, because he's, that's kind of their deal to help him in during that area. Because Jake's saying he's so big, he's able to do more damage. But, of course, at the beginning part of the game, I wouldn't feel I'm in the game as much. So being able to play all those four characters by myself really makes me excited. Yeah, and we found playing with less characters was interesting because we're only playing that character. And so it's like, well, in order not to feel useless, I was worried about that, right? Like, is a stealth character feel useless in the later part of the game? Or a loud character feel useless in the early part of the game? And it's definitely harder, for sure. But there are definitely tricks you can do to keep them um, going or keep them be efficient during those those times, whether they're not nearly as efficient as they would be in their element, per se. And that was fun to try to figure out each character. Okay, Barrett, how about your number two? Well, we're just going to kind of continue the conversation here because my number two has to do with that noise. But I'm going to my spin is a little bit different. I think the noise is great. I like the way that that is really I really feel the noise part of this game is the game. If you're just not paying attention to that part of your game, you will lose every time. And that's good and bad at the same time. There's some people that don't want to play that kind of game. They want to, but I mean, you have to know what you're buying. You got to know that this game is based on infiltration, trying to get these objectives as silently as possible, as quickly as possible without having these guards really know you're there. So that's really the name of the game. And it's this noise. Now, my problem with it is it is a dice system, which is always going to make things bad for you at times. And I found myself utterly overwhelmed on the second turn where this alarm is going off already. And I just went, I'm done. I can't, there's no, there's not enough mitigation for me to get that alarm down while once it start once it starts going up, I wish there was a way in this game where you could go to a place to kind of re turn the alarm down because say you've had a couple bad rounds of the, of, of the alarm noise, or if there's a way to, if you take out a certain guy, he's able to stop the spawning of something for a turn or something. It, I, it, it's a great mechanic, but it can sometimes just be such an overwhelming part of the game that there's that it can just take over. Yeah, that's for sure. And I felt like when playing through the campaign, that's when I gain opportunities to manage the noise better. Because in the campaign, you're able to level up. And one of the choices is you can level up noise skills. And so how the game works is... If you roll a star symbol in the game, you have to use it. So if you're not using it for a special ability, you have to add a dice. And that's normally a good thing for attack and defense because, hey, I want to get more successes for attacking and defense, right? And defending. But it also counts for noise. If I roll that star for noise, I have to add more noise. So you can have like a, a simple a task just explode in huge echoing 
explosion. Like, who knows what, what you did in that room to cause this whole uh, base to be aware of your presence, basically. Well, what you did is you tried to open a door. I mean, that's kind of the, that's where the kicker comes in. It's like, oh, I'm going to open this little door that like leads down a hallway. Oh my gosh, there's two patrols. And like the, the base went nuts because I opened a door or I opened a chest. I know they have been working on an FAQ to kind of make it a little bit more, I shouldn't say realistic, but a little bit less dependent on this noise mechanic. Um, but it's still there. And like you said, doing one thing can be detrimental. It can, oh, I'm going to pick up this crate. Oh, I rolled a star. Oh, I rolled a star. Oh, I rolled a star. But as you're saying, during the campaign, you're able to get skills that can mitigate this a little bit. I haven't seen those yet, which is probably why this is so stuck on me right now. Yeah, and I think this would be on my list too if I hadn't had that experience. So what you can do in the game is get skills that absorb or use those star symbols so I don't have exploding dice for noise. I only keep my exploding dice for attack and defense, and that's a lot more manageable now you don't have a ton of those options but they're definitely there and so if we do noisy tasks i tend to always try to give those characters that chance to to absorb those noise by using those skills um it's not a ton but there is some mitigation there the the other flip side now i will say that i, I agree with everything you're saying parent uh, there is a silver line to this in that the noise isn't always bad even though you roll bad you can have bad effects happen, but they're not going to like destroy you in the game. Like the worst ones are always the patrol, right? And it, it's not in the rule book. They talk about like, yes, this is noise, but there's also like a combination of awareness, meaning that like, oh yeah, a patrol just happened to walk by. It's not like you made a ton of noise per se, but it's just that the timing of your noise with a patrol walking by made the patrol move into your room, for example. So yeah, the silver lining to this is while you do have negative using effects, tokens. they're not always detrimental. Like some of them might be, yeah, using tokens. You might get like a, hey, this room is now suspicious and it might go away at the end of the round anyway. Or, hey, by the way, alert enemies attack you, but there might not be any alert enemies, so nothing happens. So there's, there's times when just nothing happens, even though you rolled poorly. Most of the time that's not necessarily, well, it can vary, honestly. It can vary if it's a bad thing or not bad thing. And I think that's the reason why it didn't bother me as much and had to make my list. But I think the the other issue is if it's not going to be a factor in the game, it'd be nice to not do it as much. True. I, it's sometimes a little demoralizing when your character has done this awesome thing where they sniped like nine people in a room because that's what the card does. Now you have to roll for noise. Oh, two patrols just showed up. Sweet. Yeah, exactly. Sweet. <laughs> but I mean, on the flip side, you snipe nine people. You did snipe right. nine people just to have four more show up. But I mean, that's like you said, name of the game. That's that's the that's the way this game the game works. You got to manage your noise and manage your way 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 it goes. I do have to admit, I don't actually pick up a lot of tokens along the way because I have that fear of that noise. And if I don't think it's something I really am probably going to use, I don't have any reason to pick it up because I have to roll two noise dice every time I'm thinking about searching in room for an item where if mon enemies drop something, you can just pick it up, which is really cool. I'm glad that was something they changed. And I'm really glad they did that because otherwise, again, I felt really scared picking anything up that was on the board. Yeah, I think that worth is worth mentioning here. So Mythic Games has been sending out FAQs and erratas to fix uh, elements of the game and one of the elements was the the items so how it worked initially is when i killed a bad guy there's a chance they could drop loot and it went face down and it was one noise to search it and flip it over and there's also items all around the base and they're all face down it was always was too noise to pick up one of those i don't know pre-generated items for example 
But you never knew what you got. You we're going to get. It could be worth it. It could not be worth it. But you had to roll two noise dice for it, and that could uh, translate into two more patrols or whatnot. It might not be worth it, for example. <laughs> now, what they did to fix that is now when you kill baddies, they drop the loot face up, so you know exactly what they're dropping. You can pick it up, no problem. There's no noise roll for that. And the on the flip side, the items that start on the map. If you're in an area, you roll two noise dice to flip over all items in that area, and then you can pick one. So it makes it a lot better that you can search the whole area, find the item you really want, and just take that one. It's really cool to see that Mythic is kind of listening to the community and trying to evolve a game that they've already put out. I think that's really cool of them. For sure. That kind of ties into my number two. And my number two is a con, and it's this was one of the two big points I can list for the game. My number one and my number two were pretty quick to add to this list, and the other ones could, you know, shift around a little bit. But my number two was a con that's messy. That's the way I can describe it. <laughs> and I felt like there's just a lot of things they could have done to clean up the rules and clean up the presentation of the board and stuff. And noise is definitely one of them. Like this thing we're mentioning right now about finding the loot and the items, I'm not sure how how they tested it, meaning that this is something they intended, the players they tested with, they liked it. But I've been hearing from a lot of people that they just don't like it. And so I don't know what that means exactly, but at least it's good that they're going through and they're cleaning it up. The other thing they're cleaning up too is just a lot of mistakes out there, meaning there's some maps, you pull them open and you sign up for the first time and hey, cool, I'll grab tile 17B. Cool, and I'll grab 2A and 3B and I grab 17B again, but it's totally different tile. What is going on? Like what? Like just simple <laughs> stuff like that, right? Yeah. And it, it doesn't it doesn't affect the gameplay at all. It's pretty easy to figure out what's going on. And the other thing is like people point out the artwork is flipped in the the book. So like you look at the picture in the book, you look at your tile in your hand, and it's like inverted. So it doesn't quite line up. But the artwork also doesn't impact the gameplay at all either. So it's not a big deal. But it's just like. You run into these things on your very first play of the game. And the situations where it's like, oh yeah, this noise thing doesn't really seem worth it. There's real items. It, I don't know if I ever want to pick these up. And it just feels like there's just, if it did another iteration, like a 1.5 or whatever of this game, it wouldn't be much to clean this stuff up and it would be it would fix a lot of issues I have. That's pretty good, Steve. I, I, I agree. I think there's... I think there's a lot of things that could be cleared up. And it, it's good to see a Mythic, like I said, is, is doing its best to try to listen to the community. And let's see how this goes going forward. Maybe Messy will turn into cluttered as we move forward instead of Messy. Yeah, I mean, this is not stuff that is core to the game. It doesn't really impact it significantly. There's some missing rules questions where, like, how does this work exactly? And a simple FAQ is going to clear that up. But if you're going to send this out to the general public or anybody who's not like one of our geek community members who we're used to going online and searching for answers, right? And searching FAQs. For our community, it's, it's fine that that's a solution. It's not an ideal solution, but it works, right? But if it's going out to someone else who's not used to that, it doesn't go out there, they might have a bad time with this game. So anyway, that's my number two. Con is messy. Ah, that's okay. I, I get it. That's, that's, and I, I totally agree. I think that kind of went with my rule book, kind of player aid, kind of whole deal there. I think I have the same, I just said it in a different way. Yeah, I think so. They were somewhat related. Okay, Barrett, you want to move on to your number one? 
I sure do, Steve, and I always like to at least end on a high note. My number one for this is actually the characters. I really like how they made the characters. I like the way the whole character system works, and I like the way they have skills. I like everything about the character. I know you said that sometimes you'd like to not have to play with four. Like I said, don't mind that. I like that every character comes with their own specific character deck that has their own specific feel. And the base game comes with, I think it's six characters. Am I right, Steve? I think so. It's hard because we got everything, so yeah, it's hard to keep track of what's flying what. flying all over the place. So we've got so many characters, it's unbelievable. But if you get just the core game, let's say it's six. I apologize if that's wrong. But those six characters do act completely different. Like we've kind of touched on before, Brick walks around just shooting with two machine guns, where you've got another person like Claudia, or even we have a, a guy named... Uh, who is it? I think it's Quentin. Is that his name? Who's got a bow? Yes. I mean, that's pretty cool. I mean, he's so these characters all act completely different. And like I said before, it's hard to get all these tokens. Every character kind of has their own tokens that make up how they play. And so I really think they did a really good job of creating a whole slew of characters that have their own spots in the game, but can excel and at certain points and they still are able to function in other parts. Yeah, and the variety of characters is is really well done. Like, there's a character, a professor, and she can do some weird cocktails. Like, she's almost like an alchemist in a sense, where she can lay down smoke clouds, she can do, like, area of effect stuff, uh, but she has kind of weak weapons because she's doing all this, I know, tricky stuff, right? So, so you're a tricky player, and you have another guy, Remy, and he's dressed in a, in a enemy uniform, so you can actually command units and, like, manipulate them and give them false orders, so that's pretty cool. So the variety of these characters is quite fun to explore. It's, yeah, it's really cool. I've, it was really tough for me to pick the characters to play with for the playthrough, but I picked four. I picked four, and you'll see who those are soon. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Now, that was my number one, Steve. What do you got? My number one kind of ties into yours, but it's much more specific. So I do like the characters. I think they're really well done. But the thing that drives this game to the table for me, by and far, is the card play. The card play in this game is fantastic. I love it. I don't mention that this is messy. There's got some problems in it. And there's I don't like the real items and like this other stuff. But honestly, it's just this card play is so good. I'm okay with those other things. It makes it really fun for me. And so how the card play works is every character has a deck of 12 cards. And two of those cards are your feet cards, they're called, and they're like your uber ability cards, and everyone has unique ones. They're pretty awesome. You're going to do something amazing when you play these cards. The rest of the 10 cards are all split into halves. So your top half is normally like a free action, so something, a bonus action you can do in your turn, or to trigger the ability, meaning like if some condition happens, I could play this card to do an effect. And the bottom half of those cards is a modifier, so if I want to do an attack and I want more... Uh, attack dice, I can play this card to boost it. Or if I want to move fast, I can play this card to boost it. And so it makes it really fun. Like, oh, cool, I can play this card to boost my attack, but then I'm giving away this building up top. Um, oh, but my buddy here, he's attacking. He needs more dice. I can actually play cards to boost his attack dice. Or if you have certain abilities, I can actually play cards to boost your, my buddy's defense dice and really manipulate the board. And it wound up being super fun. It winds up being this little puzzle. And it was interesting because when I sat down to read the rule book, I read in the rules like, oh, you can do two actions on your turn and you can only do one One of your actions could be a move and it's max one and you can only move one area. And the other action, one of the other actions you can do is attack and you can only do one attack per turn. And you can do some other actions as well, like searching and, and other things. 
But I'm like, wow, you can only move once and attack once. How does this game even work? And then I realized, like, <laughs> it's really not about the actions. It's all about your card play. Like, there's an action in the game that lets you draw two cards. You're going to be doing that a ton, in my experience. Drawing these cards and set these cool combos. And and the bad thing about the game is you roll these noise dice and get a ton of guys coming out. But the fun thing about it is you have, like, 20 guys in a room and you lay down this card combination and you can clear out the whole room and it feels amazing. You have these epic turns and every character has the opportunity of having some epic moment. And I love that. That's very true. And I like how you say that have that epic moment because those, that's what really what those trade cards do. They're the shining epic moment that this character can have. Um, one of the characters I'm playing actually has the ability to pretty much take out an entire room in one turn. It, doesn't matter how many people are there how cool is that just almost just running in there and just bam 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 and being all done and that doesn't even trigger noise because the third move doesn't trigger noise so that's it is it's a lot of fun to see and of course once you play it it's technically gone you you can shuffle your deck get them back but it's 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 cool that they actually let you start with those two in your hand which really makes a difference i'd hate to have to sit there and hope and pray that I get that card in my hand when I need it. It's nice to always know you have it available at the beginning of the game and continue, can kind of hold it to your ace up your sleeve, as you would say, until you wanted to play it. Yeah, for sure. And I found out that oftentimes one player will like empty their hand, trying to take care of like this horrible room situation and like save everyone's bacon, and then they are out of cards. And so now someone else has to empty their hand to try to manage that symbol while they're trying to build up their hand again to do another awesome turn. And so you just have these awesome turns cycling all around the table and it winds up being so much fun. Yeah. The card play is by far the greatest thing I was, I, I was going to put in there, but I also want to talk about how cool each character was in itself. I really liked, like how I did that, but yeah, just focusing on those cards. I'm glad you did that. Cause that is really key. Yeah. And I, I kind of get that feeling for me too, because the identity of each character, yeah, they have different items starting items, different skills, but really the cards are what define each character. So our number ones, while I'm being more specific, they are very related because you get those special abilities. My my character that lets me do false orders and move people around is a card I'm playing for that. And my other character to set up an ambush because he's like hiding in the, the shadows. Yeah, that's from a card play. And the ability to have someone to take out a room or throw a grenade and then clear out an area or lay down smoke, it's all card play and it's just phenomenal. I, very true and i you know what steve i think uh i think that's a milestone for us i think for all the podcasts we've ever done together this is the first time we've ever hit a number one together all the times it's been totally off the wall <laughs> could be true yes <laughs> so. i'd have to go back and listen of course but i think that's the first time we both agree on the number one yeah but i at the same time i do feel like this is the standout feature of the game like this is what makes people say they like the game i feel in a lot of cases just because it's so fun um, and that, that it gives you that puzzle element, which I wasn't expecting. Cause like I said before, when you have this capture mechanic, you want to try to figure out how to get your guy out of that room. This is where I'm like, I'm looking at my hand. My wife's looking at her hand. We're like, well, I can kind of take out this guy and move this guy over here. I play this card and move his bow over here. And you wind up having this huge plan and trying to figure out how to leverage your cards and who should go when it's a blast. Exactly. And then you get all these, you do your plan, everything's perfect, then you roll the dice, and then you're sad. Exactly. <laughs> if you ever see how I roll dice sometimes, it, it's never, sometimes it's almost always a bad experience. <laughs> but it's always fun to do. I will admit, when uh, Baron was telling me what the character she's playing, like, 
did you just choose all the noises character in the game? Because you're going to have a really rough time right now. So, yep, yeah. that was my first playthrough. Yep, like I said, I don't even think I made it past round. My, I don't think I made it out of the third room before the alarm was sounding and people were flying at me. I was like, this is out of control. <laughs> Definitely was a learning experience. Okay, so that's our top five. Let's get into final thoughts. So, Baron, what are your final thoughts on this game? Reichbusters, good game. Like the characters, I love the way that they did those. It's hard for me to recommend because you have to like this concept. You have to like the fact that there's a noise silent concept. Um, it's the key to the game. Uh, the car, the characters, and the game is all based around this noise mechanic. And if you're not digging the noise mechanic, I don't think you're going to dig the game. Because the other parts of the game are really rudimentary a dungeon crawler with a noise mechanic. So that's the deal i do like the way the cards can be used in multiple ways which is sometimes a little bit different from dungeon crawlers sometimes it's just like oh you got your sword you roll the dice and do what the sword does but it is cool to have these cards that's a cool thing but if you're not a key on this noise mechanic this might not be exactly for you for me um i'm enjoying what i've played of it so far i'm looking forward to trying that campaign i haven't had a chance to do it i've really just been trying these one-offs to really get a good playthrough out i'm really hoping to show off this game in all its glory for people so i'm really hoping to dig into that campaign and see what that holds and see that would actually maybe sway myself to say hey it's for everybody or not for everybody but yeah it's that noise man if you're not digging if you're not digging a uh, like a silent game like that where you want to be as quiet as possible nah it ain't, it ain't gonna be for you yeah i have a tough time on with this game with my final thoughts like part of me i really like parts of it and i dislike other parts of it so i'm really split on how i should approach this ultimately what it's going to come down to is it a recommend it is i cannot confidently recommend it to everyone at this point in time i think if if the games came out and did a 1.5 where they cleaned up a few things it would turn to recommend i think i mean the card play is that good it's awesome it's so much fun but there's other parts of the game that's just messy it needs to be cleaned up doesn't work quite right it's not significant. It would be easy to fix them, and they might fix them. So, I mean, honestly, be on the lookout for, like, FAQs or RAS come out from Mythic because maybe they fix this, and then this will become a recommend. But as is, the without knowing who you are as a player, I can't confidently recommend this. Now, I like it, but I also like house ruling. So I have house <laughs> rules to tweak the game the way I like it. Oh, and yes, I you do. <laughs> right, and I can't recommend the game based upon my house rules, right? It's just not fair right. for the buyers of the game, right? And so if you're the type of person who doesn't mind some ambiguity in the rules and doesn't mind ruling the game a certain way that you're going to like it, you may wind up liking this game. And there is, like I said before, the card play is phenomenal. It's really, really fun. You have epic moments. It, you feel powerful in the game. It's If that sounds fun to you, it might be something you might like. The noise is annoying at times to deal with, right? But there's ways of mitigating it, and sometimes noise isn't as big of a factor. But I sat down with my with my wife to play through the campaign, and honestly, this isn't normally the type of game she likes, but she wanted to play through the campaign. She actually had a lot of fun in this game. And so, to me, that says that there is good... This game is actually good. There's a lot of good things going on in it, with it. Now, the thing my wife doesn't experience is having to figure out the rules ambiguities and running through the issues and like the components with their mislabeled for example some things are missing a like a two for one of the items but a noise check and some of the other things so she's not privy to that 
And I was able to fill that out for her and also work through some of the issues with the real items. Like I said, I've got house before that. And the way we play it, she likes a lot. She has a lot of fun with it and she asks to play it. And so it's kind of weird. Is it a recommend? As is, probably not. But with some minor tweaks, it becomes really fun. And even with my wife, this is not her style of game. She likes it a lot and asks, asks for it. And that's not normally her style. It can be good. So I know I'm kind of wishy-washy there, but hopefully that makes sense to you guys. So. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Oh, I love the way, I, I love your summary. That's that's a pretty good summary. Uh, I it, I really like doing podcasts with you too about these kind of things because I like how you have plans for stuff in the game that I don't normally think of. I am a rules as written guy. I want to play what they were planning to do. I want to see what their envisionment was, and after that, I could I then decide. I don't go, hey, this was awesome. Too bad they didn't do it this way, and then implement that, which is something you're really good at. So it's always fun to hear about those ways that you have in your brain to figure out a way to make not necessarily a game better, but a game that can be more accessible to everybody. So it's, it's cool to hear. I, like I said, I'm not sure if I can, I can't recommend this either where it is. I mainly because of that noise mechanic. Now, of course, like I said, you like that. This might be for you. It might be pretty cool. Uh, the miniatures are awesome. The actual, what it looks like on the table is phenomenal. It looks really cool on the table, especially we, I have the 3d doors that came with this and the doors open and close, which is pretty cool. That's normally not a thing. Of course, that's part of the mechanic of the game, but it, I think it looks awesome on the table. I think it looks really eye popping. Yeah. And uh, I don't sleeve all my games, but the ones that I feel are worth it, I sleeve this game. I sleeved. So it's nice. weird for me to just like not recommend it and still sleeve it. So like, a, but that's honestly just because of the house rules, like the things I have problems with, I found a solution. I love it. It's a lot of fun and it's hitting the table for us, but I cannot recommend it with the rules written as is or with the issues we've, we've highlighted. Right. I'm, I'm excited you're having a good time with it and I'm, I'm still working through it. Like I said, I want to hit that campaign to really get a good feel for what I think of this, but from what I've played, that's what I got. Well, thanks listeners for tuning in to our review of Reichbusters Project Vril. We do have some other news to mention in that we started a Discord channel in addition to our Slack channel. This Discord channel is for setting up games with other members and chatting with them. In addition to that, if you want to hear us talk about these games live in our podcast reviews, we are streaming these live to Discords. So you can jump in the voice channel here is live and chat back to us in real time and we will, we will respond. I'm hoping this will be especially nice when we have people we're interviewing so you can ask questions in real time and we can respond with designers or whoever we're interviewing at the time also in real time. If you're interested in checking out our Discord, you can go to our Slack and find links there or in the description of this podcast. I'll drop a link there. That's going to conclude our review of Reichbusters. Thanks for listening and thanks, Baron, for joining me at the table. Right? Right. <laughs> you at the podcast table. That was pretty slick, Steve. Oh, I love it. That was fantastic. Steve, it's always awesome to be here. I love doing this with you. This is a lot of fun. I enjoy playing these games and being able to talk to you because you have such an awesome way of looking at every game we do. Yeah, it's fun seeing your perspective, especially with you being the dungeon crawl master, I feel like, on our <laughs> little channel master. here. <laughs> well, it's awesome. I do love them, that's for sure. Well, you like campaigns, so anything with a campaign, this is a barren territory.
This is very true. Like I said, I'm really excited to tackle that campaign. Um, it, it is something I'm looking forward to, even though I've got a lot of their campaigns going on as well. My Kingdom Death one is still running strong. I kind of swayed from it for a little while because I had a couple things I wanted to get to the table. But just if anybody is listening and is wondering where my Kingdom Death playthroughs are, they are coming back. They're never going to finish until we either finish the game or we're, our civilization does come to an end. But I've kind of actually not had to. <laughs> <Or> the former. <laughs> yeah, it's probably going to be the former. But it, it's okay because actually Colin has been doing an intense campaign for Swords and Sorcery. So we kind of feel like he's fitting the bill right now for that campaign thing going on. He's doing a monster campaign. Yeah, there's a lot of content coming out. And like I said, uh, Baron's doing a playthrough of Reichbusters. I'm actually going to post a review of Reichbusters. So if you want to know a little bit more of my thoughts, we can get into a little more detail on that video review. Uh, feel free to check it out. Anyway, thanks again, Baron. And thanks again, listeners, for tuning in. We'll see you at the next stop. Thanks for listening to another episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Please check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. If you want to reach out to us, the best place to talk to us all is on the Slack. See the show notes for details. Also, you can support us on Patreon. Check out patreon.com slash one stop. Thanks for listening and we'll see you all next week with another top five list. So Reichbusters is a Weird War 2 themed game. It's a Weird War? What do you mean by that? A Weird War, yes. Oh, is that what you mean? That's for, I thought you meant World War. <laughs> Sorry, no, no, I, weird. It's actually, a, it's actually a genre. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. That's amazing. Oh, geez, yeah. Steve, I learned something new every day when I'm on a podcast with you. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, I'll, uh, well, I'll describe it for you then, too. Okay. Please. In a way that really, oh, what am I trying to say? You know, it, we'll just delete that part. Okay, that's I don't fine. even know what I was talking about. It sounded good. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it <laughs> so. sounded real good, and I lost my total train of thought. So that's that's. The, <laughs> just, I like how I. What I meant to say was that there are. Or...